Got a little double whammy of ad promotions here I want to talk about. Our December weekly options countdown goes live on Sunday to subscribers. That deal is still up. That is WAC for $30. Six weekly trades for $30. $5 a trade. Double check my math there. Yes, $5 a trade. Click the link in this episode's bio to claim that year-end offer. And then longer term, since that's going to be expiring on Sunday, we wanted to also drop our top stock picks of 2023 in the episode's bio. It's free. Six stocks from a wide range of sectors. We're putting it on your radar because we think these guys can have a big 2023. Stock market was a mess in 2022, of course, as we all know. But we still had a couple of picks that outperformed the S&P 500, namely Vertex Energy, ticker VTNR, and Kroger, some Cincinnati flavor, ticker KR. So you're going to want to keep an eye on these picks. There's six of them coming into you. Click the link in the episode's bio. And now, the market mashup, mashup. Welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup, the last episode of 2022. It is Thursday, December 29th. And if you're listening to this, you know the deal by now. This is part two of our mashup, mashup featuring the best moments of episodes from May through the end of the year. And of course, want to offer again a sincere thank you to everyone who's come on in the last year. I I don't do much here. I simply press play and let you guys talk. I, I let you guys cook. So thank you to the listeners, to the guests, everyone that's been involved in this podcast in the last year. Really excited for what 2023 is going to bring. Hopefully some new features, new guests, new angles. I want this to be fun. I want everybody to learn. And to everyone involved, thank you so much. Picking up right where I left off from part one. On June 15th, I had Mark Benziquin of the Options Industry Council on to talk about advice for staying in the market when things are looking pretty bleak. Well, you're right. You, you definitely need to have a strong stomach. Um, and and while I uh, am precluded from making recommendations or providing advice, um, I, you know, I, I will tell you that I am of the opinion, um, and it is strictly my opinion. Um, well, let me put it this way: I, I oftentimes look to Warren Buffett. You know, Warren Buffett is famous for saying. When everybody's selling, you should be buying. When everyone's buying, you should be selling. You know, I, I guarantee you there are plenty of people out there right now that are buying in this market and, and feel that the market is on sale. You know, stocks are on sale right now. Options are on sale right now. Um, and a lot of people are getting into the market based on that. Smart money, uh, for lack of a better word, might say that now is the opportune time to get into the market, but uh, doing so um, when you invest at any time, right, you should have a degree of caution. Uh, As I mentioned before, these aren't set it and forget it strategies. So regardless of whether you're in a bull market or a bear market, you're going to want to monitor what you're doing for new investors out there that are just getting their feet wet, um, you know, a, a lot of people say that it's best to start small. It's best to start slowly, kind of see what happens. 
you know, certainly don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Right. Uh, you know, and I think these, these, um, suggestions or these, um, ideas apply regardless of what market, uh, you are in. Um, uh, yeah, uh, for, for lack of a better word, that's what I would go with. Start, you know, go small, go slow, make sure you know what it is that you're getting yourself into. Um, and always seek out, um, seek out an advisor, seek out your trading firm, your brokerage firm, talk to them and get all of the education that you can make sure you know what what it is that you're getting yourself into a month later we had one of our own senior market strategist matthew timpain come on to talk about options ideas and strategies for dealing with volatility yeah so cbi was horrendous obviously it's inflation's being driven by energy and food and shelter uh just you know rapidly expanding on the inflation uh front uh it's something that i've obviously watch closely as kind of coming from more of a multi-asset background uh, and, you know, I've incorporated macro factors into my analysis for a very long time. Some things that I think that options traders can do uh, during periods like this, because what you're really trying to prevent to do is, is getting your face ripped off in a bear market rally, but you also don't really want to be long on a potential next leg lower, right? So you got to be extremely strict in your straight trading strategies right here. So some things that you can do uh, is keep yourself a diversified portfolio of calls and puts uh, and then spread those bets across sectors. This way you're not overexposed to direction or any one sector uh, from a macro perspective. Also, you know, like I was saying just a little bit ago, you know, you need to keep your entries and your stops tight. And you want to honor those stops. It's something I've always kind of preached. Uh, during bull markets, sloppy entries and stops may be something you can kind of get away with. Uh, but in bear markets, this can absolutely ruin you. Uh, and then I do have a few other things. Since we are you know, primarily a long premium buyer uh, firm here at Schaefer's Investment Research, we do some premium selling. Uh, but you know, one of the things that you can do to kind of you know, ease off the high implied volatility environment that we're in is buy maybe more in the money contracts to kind of reduce that IV crush and that time decay that they'll experience uh, when we do get a rally and as we, you know, get closer to options expiration for that contract. Uh, and then another thing that we often do is kind of either shorten or lengthen our timeframes, uh, depending on the type of directional strategy that we're using. And by doing this, you know, when we're in these types of bear market environments, we're in negative gamma, you know, if you shorten your time horizon, you often get these, you know, bigger moves because of the market environment. So you can hit your targets faster and get in and out of these contracts. And then that way, you know, if you do have an adverse move against you, you're either out uh, or, you know, if you want to lengthen it, that way you can kind of handle some of that adverse uh, reaction a little bit. Uh, one thing from a personal level that I've done is, you know, option traders can also kind of flip the script a little bit. If you are dominantly a long premium buyer, you can kind of go into selling some more premium here. Uh, like I said, we're living in a high implied volatility environment, even with the VIX, you know, being kind of suppressed. You know, if you look at IV rank of many of the securities, we're in the 80th percentile, 70th percentile. Uh, and then when we do have these rallies, if you're, you're trying to play that, you know, like I said, you get this IV crush, it really kind of hurts those returns on the long premium side. But what that is, is that's a nice tailwind for you if you sell some premium against it. So 
Uh, from a personal perspective, I've been selling a lot more premium in this type of environment, really kind of picking out my support zones and uh, resistance areas to put these trades on. And then I've been doing it through uh, credit spread utilization instead of just selling out right naked calls and puts, um, because that way I can at least reduce my downside risk if I'm wrong. Uh, and that's kind of just some ideas that you could do as an option trader right here in this type of market environment. Not five days later, on July 19th, Mark Petrino of Benzinga discusses the psychology of options trading right now, especially in volatility environment. Yeah, because uh, I do. I think that there's going to be, frankly, a lot less interest because a lot of people are losing money now. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you said, when the, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? It was everything was easy up until November. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that uh yeah, I mean I I mean we're already seeing the volumes are really drying up. I don't know about your guys' traffic, but our traffic has been drying up uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, nothing like tremendous, but but noticeable. But um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have lost a lot of money in options, in the meme stocks, in the cryptos. Uh so I think that's why a lot of people now are coming over to get into the educational side or, or to seek an education because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get a little, you know, I'll admit, I get a little, not, a, I guess, offended, um, you know, when a year and a half ago, when all these, you know, these Reddit traders are all coming out and it's like, oh, you know, I bought one stock and it went up and I'm a greater trader than Steve Cohen. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is easy. Well, where are all those, those meme stocks now? A lot of them are down 90, 95%. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it, pride comes before the fall, right? We always have yeah. to tell us that because because once you think that you know what you're doing, the market has a really way to remind you that it's always going to know more than you do. So that goes back to our psychology. You have to be humble. You know, it's losing money can emotionally devastate people. Did a really fun one in August with Brian Sapp who discussed, I mean, this was great. He talked about his life as a poker player and how it relates to options trading. So that life was uh, very stressful. It was lucrative, but very stressful. Um, I played a lot of tournaments. So um, you can sit there for hours, days, sometimes if, if they're multi-day tournaments and, and, you know, it can all come down to one hand basically where it's a 50, 50 coin flip type thing. So the risk aspect of trading does not bother me one bit uh, just because of sort of that background, which that can be detrimental too, right? Like you can be overly risk seeking, which at the beginning of my career, I think I was um, and what, you know, I had to get punched in the mouth a couple of times before I learned my lessons and, and you know, started to res- respect risk a lot more and the idea that you could be wrong. Um, but it, it's, they're very similar. It's, you have impartial information, um, you know, your opponent in a poker hand is essentially telling a story with their bet sizing, with their position on the table, with, you know, what point of the tournament it may be in. Um, there are all these little tidbits of small information that you can sort of gather, whether it be from their mannerisms, the way they bet or just their patterns or what they've done. Um, and it's very similar to stock trading, right? Like you may see some good news behind a stock. You may see a trend line that confirms um you know, all the sentiment indicators look good and then something happens and completely blows you out of the water. You know, it may have been a good trade or a good idea, but something that was totally out of your control kind of, you know, made it become a big loser. And I equate that to like, you know, you're in a poker tournament, holding tournament, and you get all of your money in with pocket aces and you lose, right? Like that's possible. That happens. 
So, you know, psychologically, when you begin, it's really tough to overcome that. Uh, but I think all of the, the heartache that I had, you know, I had some success, but I also had a whole lot of heartache when I played poker. Um, you know, that sort of helped get me ready mentally for what I do now. Had a very interesting perspective with Jim Carroll of Toroso Investments in early September, talking about what his clients were watching with three months to go in the calendar year. We appear to be in a period of above average volatility. And one of the ways that I look at that is to look at a chart of the VIX, the, the so-called fear index, and slap a longer term moving average on that, a one year moving average. Mm -hmm. And as I look at a history of the VIX, which goes back to 1991 or so. So um, really quick, one question. When you say one year moving average, would that mean 252? 252 trading days. Got it. Got it. And so... Uh, just just as a again sort of a a weather vane when that one year moving average is above 20 the the long run average for vix is about 19 the long run median is 17ish when when that one year moving average is above 20 it it coincides with periods uh where the equity market has problems COVID took us above that. Um, we got down below it briefly, uh, but we're back above it again. And so what I've what what I'm telling clients is that we can expect, you know, as an example from our tactical models, we can expect our tactical models to be more active, uh, to to be more responsive to changes in the market, um, and. I have some trading buddies as well uh, that I engage with. And basically, they've all shortened their expected time frame for trades. Interesting. Because things are just moving more quickly in both directions than we saw, you know, say in most of 2021. Um, and, and so I think that anybody who's, um, nervous <laughs> needs to shrink their time frames. If you're an active investor, you've probably got a relatively short time frame anyway. Um, but I think people need to be prepared for continuing volatility in the market. Um, and so, if you want to be a long-term investor, if you want to be a strategic buy and hold investor, that's fine. Uh, particularly if you've got a long time frame. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going to be investing for another 30 or 40 years, that's great. Um, you know, keep putting money into the market. Just recognize that, uh, you know, to the extent we've had some drawdowns and volatility so far this year. Uh, expect that that's going to continue for some period of time and just factor that in. Make sure that you've got the discipline and the patience uh, to weather uh, another 
you know, potential down leg in this market that some people have characterized as a bear. Later in September, I have been waiting for this episode with Seth Golden. Uh, he's all over Twitter uh, of the Phenon Group, and he had a very interesting way of framing how you can turn time into a currency. This, this is gold right here. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, expert. Um, uh, experience is how I like to think about it. You know, I, I don't think there's an expert out there. I think some of us have just a lot more experience, and we've learned from those experiences. Um, when it comes to VIX volatility, uh, the way I try to keep it simple is a lot of people think in terms of, um, you know, they, they, they use volatility as a hedge. Uh, they're buying VIX call options, if you will, or going long uh, specific VIX exchange traded products. The way I try to uh, participate, you know, as an investor, I, I'm always thinking long term and I'm always thinking duration. As long as I have duration on my side, I have more time in the trade and or investment, then I'm doing the right thing. You know, like an old Warren Buffett quote, time is the investor's best friend. So anything I do, uh, especially volatility related, because when we think about volatility, we think about, you know, rapid swings. Um, I don't want to suffer from those rapid swings, whether it's whether or not it's uh, I own an option or I'm just uh, shorting common a, a UVXY exchange traded product or a VXX exchange traded product, I want to give myself as much duration in the trade as possible because I know the one thing and the most simplistic thing about volatility is that it has no probability of persistently rising. It's eventually going to mean revert and ultimately mode revert. As long as those are my principal guideposts, all I need is time. The best way I can make sure I have time is to appropriately position size. So mm -hmm. I just try to keep it really simple. I don't try to create um, synthetic structured products, you know, um, to trade the volatility complex. I try to keep it really simple. And I think time and I think, you know, the, the byproduct of that would be, you know, my position size. If, yeah, I, it, if those are both right. I'll make a profit. It's just a matter of when. In October, uh, I had Tasty Trades Tim Knight on, and he just, I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge. And in this part, he talked about how he can keep charting simple because, I mean, there's so much crap out there. How can how do you cut through the noise? Well, I, I, uh, I guess there's a misconception on their part, a misconception on, on my part. On their part, I think that they, they uh, equate complexity with efficacy. And I, you know, it's funny because people always ask me, you know, why does Tom hate charts so much? And how can you even have a program if Tom despises charts so much? It's like, you know what? I hate charts too. And this has been, you know, I, my life evolves, it, it rotates around charts. My life is all about charts. But what, what I, the charts that I claim to hate are those that you usually see that are just chock full of stochastics and RSI and MACD and ribbon studies and uh, all the uh, uh, the programmatic languages centered around signals. I mean, it bores me to tears. I, I want uh, as clean, simple a chart as possible, and it's not out of abject laziness. I simply think, I mean, I the the, the clumsy expression is like it has to sing to me, and I'll know a good chart or a good insight when I see it, and they never 
uh, are slathered with uh, all sorts of colorful mishmash. Even though I've built all that mishmash into my own product, um, any chart that you look at amongst the thousand or so that I follow, you know, has nothing more than maybe a few trend lines, maybe a few horizontal lines, perhaps a tinted area here and there to denote a pattern, be it mm -hmm. a top or a bottom. Um, but you will see zero indicators. Um, you will see on occasion when they work, uh, Fibonacci retracements. Mm, that's, uh, I, was, I literally had that written down because I was going to ask you about that. Right. And literally out of a thousand plus charts, probably more like 1500 that I, that I uh, follow, one has a uh, sine wave on it because it works. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, uh, so I, I think that people just get dazzled by this, this um, uh, Fantasia on their screen. And using that, I mean, you can make any argument. So, I mean, you could, you could give me almost any chart and say, make a bullish argument or make a bearish argument. And even though those are polar opposites, I could, I could do so. Um, so I would just, you know, in my own show, in my own books, in my own site, I've kept things extremely simple. The, the mistake on, on my part, um, and this has less to do with tooting my horn than it has to do with me not being a dinosaur, <laughs> is that um, there's far more uh, artistry and human interpretation to this than I think people assume. And for years, actually decades at this point, I've always got my, uh, I'm always looking over my shoulder at um, something that can do what I do. Um, I mean, just three days ago, uh, a guy who I respect deeply and who's very smart uh, came out with, you know, he announced that real soon now, which means probably in our lifetimes, but real soon now um, he's going to roll out his pattern finder and you know, it'll find all the classic patterns in any chart you look at. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Oh, here we go. You know, it's uh, my days are numbered. And I looked at the patterns he found and so forth. And as with the hundred other times before that I've seen such things, it's like, uh, I'll be fine. Cause this is garbage. Uh, I, I, you know, it even surprises me how humans do it because even if you take a, a very simple pattern, like the classic, everyone was like head and shoulders pattern. Mm -hmm. um, I'll see what other people consider to be such patterns. I'm like, no, that's not even close. I mean, what do you, you know, get your eyes checked. So I don't, I don't claim to be able to do many things well as probably a sheet of paper with one item on it. But uh, mercifully, I think that um, I'm, I'm okay for now with respect to being able to, to do this stuff. It wouldn't be the market mashup if I didn't have Chris Pribel back on in November. He had some Fed talk and he had the outlook for what things were looking like at the start of 2023. There's about a 50-50 chance that we'll either get a 50% or another 75% interest rate rise in December in addition to the 75 today. So you're looking at by February of 2023, uh, the highest probability that the market is pricing is that interest rates will be 100% higher uh, than they are now by February. So four months from now, expect interest rates to be one full percentage point higher. That's what the market is pricing in. That's not me. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're staring at going into the seasonally strong end of the year. And you got to remember, Fed is looking at employment. 
and they're looking at wages. And neither one of those indicators have shown any uh, any signs of stopping their unbelievable run. I mean, wages continue to rise, and employment continues to be very low. And right there, there were some numbers that came out today. I saw just briefly that were incredibly strong. And the, that the Fed has to keep their foot on the brake. They have to maintain some discipline. Uh, they have to raise rates, no matter what people dream or want or wish. Um, they've got a job to do. They've got to lower this interest rate, and I know, or lower the inflation rate. And I know people say, "Well, inflation, there's already signs of it turning over." And it's like, so you're you're going to tell the Fed to just guess, you know, use a guesstimate? What? Well, oh, well, it's supposed to go down in the future. So let's let's take that. They they're looking at hard data from the past month and the past quarter. And when they look at that data, they don't really have a choice. They've got to slow down the train. I mean, if you aren't prepared for that, you're still living in that zero interest rate wacky world where anything can go up in value. If you got a good business idea, oh yeah, that's $10 billion valuation. It's like, well, what were their sales last year? And you come to find out it was only a 150,000 in sales and they're worth $10 billion. And you, you scratch your head and you say, what? Why? Why would a company that has minimal revenue be valued at such a high level? And I think the Fed is doing a, a good job of bringing the market back into a valuation metric. I, I look, the S&P's about 16 or 17 times uh, the past year's earnings which anytime you get above 20, that's usually your expensive. Anytime you get below 15, that's usually a good buy. So we're kind of still in that little sweet spot that the Fed can push the market lower and we're not really on sale. You know, there's a discount on stocks right now for sure. Everyone likes to sell, yeah. but they're not really rock bottom prices yet. My final guest of 2022 was Henry Schwartz of SIBO. Henry hadn't been on this episode since November of 2020, which is just insane because of how much of things have changed. So we had to talk about the options trading trends that have occurred in the last two years. Uh, well, you know, that, it's funny because we had a risk management conference in October, and I was talking to uh, one of my associates here, Kristen Boyd, who uh, used to be at Credit Suisse, and I said, you know, what, what should this you know, what should my topic be for this uh, presentation? And she said, well, nobody's gone to any conferences for two years, so how about what's changed in the last two years? And I was like, well, that's excellent and, and easy um, because so much has changed. But uh, so, And it's really funny to think of kind of like, you know, end of 2020, you know, we were deep into kind of the – uh, the retail volume explosion, uh, you know, kind of meme stock mania was um, well underway. Um, and so, uh, and I'm looking at some of the data from um, from that year. We, you know, we finished at around seven and a half billion contracts total volume that year for the industry, which was up um, around 30% from the year before. Right, the year before had been just under five billion contracts. And you know, kind of since then, it's 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 been off to the races, right? Because mm -hmm. 2021, it just continued, and you know, we had a you know that bull market that kind of started at the bottom, I guess, of the the 2020 COVID crash. Uh, you know, did not slow down in 2021 at all, 
And so 2021, we, we, we finished around 9.87 billion contracts, which uh, was another, uh, you know, 40, 47% growth, I think, over um, over the year before. And now, you know, towards the end of 2022, we're looking at, uh, we're going to finish around 10.3 billion contracts. So first time over 10 billion. We had a few days at the beginning of this year that were over 60 million contracts in a single day. Uh, which is kind of you know phenomenal because you know you don't, you really don't have to go back that far like into the 80s and you had uh, you had years that were 60 million contracts mm-hmm. so um, incredible amounts of growth and and you know there's also some interesting changes um, you know we had the like 2020 and 2021 w- was this retail wave and you know there's a lot of stories about Reddit and um, Robinhood and all that kind of stuff right I think everybody you know and and I guess with the you know people working from home for COVID, people had a lot more free time on their hands, or um, you know they got into the trading game. And then this year, 2022 is a pretty different year. You know the market's not gonna doesn't look like the market's gonna finish um, positive on the year. That's for sure. And um, uh, you know option volume is still growing, but it's growing in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. 